Please remain standing as you're able. As this morning we meet Joshua, the book of Exodus, the 33rd chapter, verse 11. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. And then some 40 years later, Moses turns over the reins to Joshua in the 31st chapter of Deuteronomy. Moses says, The Lord has said to me, You shall not cross the Jordan. The Lord your God Himself will cross over ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you, and you will take possession of their land. Joshua will also cross over ahead of you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Last week I introduced to you my belief that we live in rapidly changing times. That the known world has been left behind and we're moving in uh, toward an unknown world and we live in a time of transition. I suggested to you that God's people have encountered this before. They had left the known world of Egypt and 450 years of slavery and they were on their way to the promised land, but they weren't there yet. And they lived in times of change and transition in the wilderness. One of the guides for that time in the wilderness and the leader was a man named Joshua. And I've asked over these next few weeks um, uh, some retired generals in our congregation, Tom Jaco and David Reed, to help think through with me the lessons that we learned uh, from Joshua for these changing times. And uh, those lessons are now uh, given to you on Sunday morning. So let's hear from uh, Tom Jaco on the video about a hero of the Battle of Gettysburg in the Civil War. One of my favorite uh, characters in history uh, is a Civil War hero. Uh, his name was Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain. He normally went by Lawrence. He was a seminary graduate, and he was teaching languages at the University of uh, Bowdoin in, uh, in Maine. And he thought that he should volunteer for the cause of the Union, and he did volunteer for the Union Army. And he was commissioned, and this quiet, mild-mannered man ended up as a lieutenant colonel commanding what was known as the 20th Maine Regiment. He had been in a few skirmishes with that regiment, but nothing, uh, no big events. But he found himself on the 2nd of July in 1863 in the outskirts of Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. And he was approached by his commander after they had done a forced march and his men were tired. And he said, I have to put you in the line immediately. We're having an imminent attack. Follow me. And he took him to a piece of terrain called the Little Round Top. It was just a small, small hill with a lot of boulders on it. And he told them, I want you to occupy this position. This you must defend. You are the left flank of the Union Army. So goes you, so goes the Union Army. You must defend this at all costs. Do you understand what I'm saying? And Colonel Chamberlain said, yes, I do. And he deployed his men, and within minutes he was attacked by two regiments of the uh, Confederate Army from Alabama. 
He was attacked six times in succession, and he was able to hold the ground. He knew that he would be attacked a seventh time. He knew he could not hold this ground any longer. He had received several casualties. His men were down to one or two rounds apiece of ammunition, and he was outnumbered three to one. And he thought, I've got to do something different. I've got to surprise the enemy in some way. So he called his company commanders forward, and he said, we're going to attack. We're going to attack the attacker. And he said, we're going to do this by fixing bayonets, and we're going to charge like a gate. We're going to swing through him, coming downhill, and we're going to scare the pants off of him. And they all looked at him quite skeptically. They got in position, they got ready, and when the two Alabama regiments attacked, Chamberlain gave an order that has only been given once in the history of the United States Army. He said three, three times, fix bayonets, fix bayonets, fix bayonets, charge. And then he drew his saber and he ran down the hill yelling with 348 band of parties following him. And the Alabama regiments were so surprised, so stunned, that they started to withdraw because they thought they were being attacked by a superior force, and then they fled in panic. And Colonel Chamberlain, this mild-mannered professor, saved the day. He saved the battle. And he may have been the catalyst that helped save the Union. He went on to command a brigade. He went on to make brevet major general. He was selected to receive Lee's sword at the surrender at Appomattox. And then he was elected uh, to be the governor of Maine and served three times. And finally, at an old age of 83, died of wounds. He was the man of the hour. Uh, he, he made a great difference. I've been meaning to ask Tom whether he thinks seminary prepares people to be generals, or is it that uh, seminary graduates are all general wannabes? For whatever the case, Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain is one of my heroes, too. I have a quote from him given on the eve of Gettysburg when his men are on this forced march and they don't know what they're going to encounter, and he says this to them. He says, we cannot know or determine very much the future. But we can know and determine what kind of people we will be whenever and wherever the hour strikes. And for Chamberlain and his men, the hour struck the next day. But for others, it must seem almost like an eternity for their hour or their time to come. You'll find in the bulletin this morning a reference to uh, the General and President Eisenhower, who for 25 years serves ably as an assistant, a number of years under General MacArthur, but it looks like he's going nowhere, never getting to use the talents and skills and the passion that he has don't seem to be put to effort. But then his hour comes. We find that it's also true in the life of Winston Churchill for years and years, really is out of power and out of favor, but the time and the moment comes, and he is on the eve of the Second World War, appointed prime minister, and his observation is that all of his life had prepared him for this hour of trial. 
For many people in the Bible, it looked like their hour would never come. There is King David, who Morgan read to us about today. And King David is anointed king when he's 12 years old. But he never sets foot on the throne until he is 30. For 18 years, he runs for his life. For 18 years, he's not able to live into the destiny that God has for him. And then there's Joseph. When we meet Joseph, he's a 17-year-old boy sent to check out on his brothers. And he is turned by them over to slave traders. He becomes a slave. And then he is later imprisoned. And for 13 years, he languishes. And then when he is 30, the first elements of the dream that he had when, set, when he was 17 begin to be fulfilled. And he ascends to second in command of all of Egypt. And then there's Joshua, whom we meet today. Joshua is appointed Moses' assistant. And for 40 years, he goes without a promotion. For 40 years, it's Moses who's the leader and Joshua who is the young aide. But then, his moment and his hour arrives. It's true in other areas as well. Someone was reminding me at the close of the last service, the story of Terry Strug. If you'll remember here when our women won the gold in the team gymnastics, uh, she's the one that made the winning vault on a broken ankle. I remembered that part of the story, but I'd forgotten the part of the story where she tried to quit the Olympic team. For she was just an alternate. And it looked like her moment would never come to perform in the Olympics. And her coach talked her into staying and said, your time will come. And indeed, her time did come. I was also reminded that for years this church sat over on Broadway collecting money to try to remodel and expand on that location, saving and building and preparing for a time that actually came, an hour came in a different way than they expected. For many of us it may seem that we still aren't getting to use our talents, our abilities, our passions in a way that makes a significant difference in the world We may find ourselves in our own sort of personal wilderness just wondering what we're doing here and whether our presence is of significance to anyone. Well, I'd like to say a few things about that this morning. The first thing I'd like to say is remember that even the smallest deeds can be used by God in ways that have results and ramifications far beyond our imagination. I thought of uh, more than 70 years ago when uh, a, a man with a pickup truck talked Billy Graham and a few other farmhands to climbing in the back of his truck and driving into a revival where Billy Graham became a Christian. Didn't seem like much of a significant moment. And yet, it was. Second thing I would tell you is that the hour of destiny and our hour is not something that is within our hands. Our times, the times in which we live, have not been chosen by us. They've been chosen by God. And God has God's own plan and God has God's own ways and we don't get to choose. So lastly, I would observe what can we do while we wait for that moment whenever and wherever that moment strikes. What we do, I believe, is what Joshua did. We use this as a time of preparing ourselves to be used in ways that God will choose. Here's my suggestion this morning. If you look at the career of Moses, he did not wait, I mean of Joshua, he did not waste his 40 years with Moses. I want to suggest to you that at least three significant things happened during his 40-year waiting period. The first one was this. Joshua increased his competencies. He obviously, 40 years later, was better prepared to lead than he was when the people left Egypt. 
in 40 years of following Moses around and being in on meetings that Moses had with the people and watching Moses pray and listening to Moses strategize, he learned how to be a leader. The time was a time of increasing his competency. Surely this must have happened to Joseph. Uh, Joseph at 17 years is a Hebrew. He knows nothing of Egypt. He knows nothing really of life because he's been sheltered and protected his whole life. But first, in um, running a large household and later in running an entire prison, Joseph learns skills of management. Joseph learns to speak Egyptian. He understands the Egyptian culture. And 13 years later, when the time is right at age 30, Joseph becomes second in command of all of Egypt and is the instrument by, that God uses to feed a starving and famished world. The hour came and he was ready. God uses this time where we appear not to be in the limelight. We can't really make sense of our contribution. And God uses it in ways to grow us and strengthen us and prepare us for that moment when it comes. Our competencies grow. But that's not all that happens. More important than our competencies, our character grows during this time. When we first meet uh, Joseph, quite frankly, he's a 17-year-old teenage brat telling on his brothers enjoying uh, the privilege of being the favored child. Thirteen years later, he has been hardened into a man of patience and wisdom, a man capable of ruling an entire empire. His character grows during that time. How often have we seen in the world of politics or the world of religion and preachers or the world of athletes where people have come into too much too soon Their skills bring them to a level uh, where their character can't support them. And so their money, their fame, their influence, their prestige is wasted and lost. Henry Blackaby puts it this way, that God will put the superstructure of significance in life upon a foundation of character. That whatever God is going to do through us and with us, it will not be greater than what our character can bear. God will never let our skills outrun and our opportunities outrun our character. We won't be able to hold up to it. So these are the days in which our character is shaped and formulated, much as Joshua's was shaped and formulated during these 40 years. And finally, and I think most significantly, one of the things we see happening during this 40-year waiting period is Joshua grows his deepening relationship with God. His intimacy with God grows. When we first meet him, Moses has come to the tent of meeting to meet with God, which Moses does. He brings Joshua along. Then Moses leaves the tent. He goes back to work. Joshua, we're told, stays in the tent, developing, growing, deepening his relationship with the Lord. And it is that relationship that will sustain him through the wildly challenging times of crisis and and transition that are ahead for Joshua and the people. Graham Cook, a British uh, pastor and writer, puts it this way, that when God desires to do something significant in our life, God usually prepares us by calling us to a deeper level of intimacy, our communion with God. Because the question for us is this, whatever God is going to do in life, is it going to be something we do on our own, or will God do it through us? And if the answer that you give is the biblical answer, which is God does it through us, then it stands to reason that we need to be growing and deepening that relationship with God. Time spent with God is never wasted time. 
It prepares us and strengthens us for the hour that is sure to come. That hour will come, and those who have strengthened themselves in the Lord will be able to stand. I got an object lesson about this yesterday afternoon. There are three of us at home now in the family, and we all went to work in the backyard, two of us quite unwillingly. And one of the opportunities that was presented to us was to to, uh, dig up a stump of an old crepe myrtle tree that uh, soared up in the way. And so each of us took turns with a shovel and brought great pressure upon, uh, upon that crepe myrtle. And it didn't budge. It didn't budge. And as we dug around it, one of the interesting things I noticed was the significant root system of that tree. I noticed how wide the roots were and how deep they were. And I'm here to tell you that two hours later, this morning, that tree's still there. And it has stood up against blows. It has stood up against, uh, against uh, leverage that we've placed on it. It has stood the test because of the depth and width of the roots. If we are used by God in significant service, called to an hour that we know not yet, and I believe that we will be and we are. The only way we will stand at the winds and the blows that come against us is to sink deeply and widely into our relationship with God. And then, no matter the change, no matter the pressure, we, like Joshua, will stand 